In this series, we've seen Jesus revealed as just that. The one who died on the cross to be the savior of the world. Now, from studying the Gospel of John in chapter 3, that God loved the world so much that he sent his son for this. So that he would die on the cross to pay the penalty for sin of whom we are all members. We are all sinners and in desperate need of a Savior. Well, in John chapter 18 through 21, Jesus is revealed as that Savior, the Savior from sin. The Savior of those whose penalty was none other than death. That's fundamental for us to remember. Never lose sight of that. That we are in desperate need of a Savior, and Jesus Christ is that Savior. What I want to challenge you all to do, we've done this every week, but we're going to keep doing it, is to remember that all of this is for you. Jesus endured the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. We're looking at a fascinating story about an innocent man being put on trial, being framed, being condemned to death, sentenced to pay a penalty for something that he never committed. And that's a fascinating story. It's a very engaging story. But don't forget that it's done for you, that Jesus at any moment had the power to stop all of this. Jesus, even on the cross, could have gotten down off of it, but he doesn't. He endures it. Why? He endures it because he's submitting to the Father whose will is that Jesus would die to be the Savior of the world. He does it for us. Don't ever lose sight of that. Jesus endured the cross to pay the penalty for me. And involved in all of that, it's not just the cross. It's not just what happened when he's nailed to a tree. What happens is everything that takes place in this scene. When when Jesus is on trial, he's going through that for you. When Jesus is beaten, when we're going to see tonight a crown of thorns is placed on his head, he endures that to pay the penalty for your sin, for my sin. So personalize this truth. Personalize this truth. Don't make this a story that you appreciate. Personalize it and recognize that Christ did this. He endured this to pay the penalty for me. Don't forget that. Well, we've seen a lot thus far in this series. It's fascinating stories that take place as Jesus is put on trial. And what we're told is that the trial that Jesus is put on is, is actually, it's, it's, a, it's an illegal trial. He gets put in, in situations that he wasn't supposed to be put in, and, and they're rushing him through a system. They're trying to get him crucified. They're trying to get him, they're, they're making accusations against him that lead to the most hasty crucifixion as possible, wanting Jesus to be put to death now. So we saw Jesus on trial and sent off to a man named Pontius Pilate. Pilate is basically the governor of the area where Jesus is at this stage. He's, he's, he's essentially like a, a governor over this region. 
and includes Jerusalem where Jesus is right now. And he's in charge of a lot of things in that area. But one of the primary ones is that he's in charge to keep the peace. He's in charge to, to make sure that everything remains in order. Well, that becomes complicated when we see that Pilate is ruling in Jerusalem primarily a group of Jews who have very specific religious laws that actually is a part of Pilate's job description. He wasn't just supposed to enforce the laws that Rome had placed over them, but he's actually enforcing their local laws as well, and we're going to see that tonight. Well, Pilate is in a difficult spot. He's in a really difficult spot. And we saw that last week as Pilate is convinced that Jesus is innocent. He's convinced that, that he hasn't done anything wrong. Pontius Pilate is in a really difficult spot. A really difficult spot. He's convinced that Jesus is innocent. He's convinced that Jesus has done nothing wrong. But if you remember last week, there's an angry mob outside. And Pilate is putting Jesus on trial at their request. But he knows Jesus is innocent. He's stuck with two bad decisions. He, he's stuck where no matter what he chooses, he's in trouble. Now, we, all, we all know what this feels like, right? There's, there's two kind of scenarios. That, that we, there's like win-wins where no matter what you choose, it's a good thing, right? Those are, those are fun, awesome situations where no matter what you choose, it's a good decision. And it's a fun decision. Uh, Liz and I are going to, to St. Louis this week, and we're trying to plan what exactly we're going to do. And it's like, it's not like it's bad decisions versus good decisions. It's, there's a hundred really good restaurants. Which ones do we want to go to? And it's win-win. Like, it's not... Everything that you choose is good. So it's, it's not like if you choose one, you die, and you choose the other one, you live. They're all good. But then there's also like lose-lose situations where no matter what you choose, it's bad. You're trying to figure out which of these bad decisions do I choose. We're, uh, we're remodeling our bathroom right now. And uh, one of the things that I'm doing for the first time is I'm working on some plumbing in our house. And so I was re reworking some plumbing back into a wall and, and it took a long time, but I finally got it just where I wanted it. And we had gotten all the glue in place and all these pipes are held together and we had to wait 48 hours to, to let the glue dry. And after 48 hours, our, our water had been shut off in our house for 48 hours. And, and it comes to the time where, where it's time to turn the water back on and see if your pipes actually work. And uh, water, you have this, it's called your water main. It's just shooting water out super fast. And it, and it runs all through the pipes and, and it's supposed to stop in certain areas where it's not supposed to go. And then when you turn on the faucet, it goes, right? So I got these pipes and I'm thinking, okay, is this gonna work? I wake up after 48 hours, it's, it's about 6.30 in the morning. And I hadn't taken a shower in two days because our water didn't work. So I, I felt gross. And I'm like, all right gonna turn on this water see what happens so I turn on the water main and I run upstairs my water mains in the basement I run upstairs to check to check my pipes and and I'm looking and everything's quiet and it seems good and then there was like this count and like three two one and boom both my hot and cold water the things that were at the front of them popped off and water is going everywhere. Like water, water is shooting like six feet across the air. And I'm the only one in our house that's awake. So I'm freaking out. And I, I get down on my hands and knees. There's water splashing all over me. It comes out so fast. And some of it's really hot because it's hot and cold water. So like half of my body's getting shot with ice cold water. Half of my body's getting shot with scalding hot water. And I put both of my hands over it. And I kind of stop it, but it's still like spraying on the ceiling and stuff. And so I have both hands there and I'm stuck because, because I'm the only one that's awake in the house. 
and the water main to shut this thing off is in the basement. So either I take my hands off, let water go everywhere for like two minutes while I run and shut off the water main, pretty bad decision. Or I stay here until someone else wakes up. Pretty bad decision. So what I start, I start yelling. I'm like, it's 6.30 in the morning and I'm like, Alyssa! She's on the other end of the house. And, and I'm yelling like, because I can't move. Water's spraying everywhere. I can't move and she's asleep and uh, she's not waking up. So now I have another decision. I, I, I can take, my phone's in my pocket. I can take my hand off this hot water, pull out my phone, dial Alyssa, all the while water's gonna shoot, so that's what I do. I pull out my phone and I put it on speaker. Water's going everywhere. My phone's drenched. And uh, she answers, she's like, hello? And I'm like, get in here! <laughs> and uh, she's like, so she, she runs, she sprints and, and goes and down and shuts off the water. What I was forced with there was like two really bad decisions. No matter which one I chose, it was like a really bad deal. No matter which one I chose, more things were going to get wet, and I had to choose which was the worst of two evils. That's exactly where Pilate is in this scenario. He either, he either can let Jesus go. He knows he's innocent. He can either let him go and have to deal with an angry mob. Bad decision. Or he can crucify a man that he knows is innocent and submit himself to the rule of the mob. Another really bad decision but he has to choose one of them. Uh, Pilate historically has a pretty bad reputation as the man who condemned Jesus to death. The more I study about him, though, the more sympathy I have for him. He's in a tough spot. He's in a really difficult spot of a man that he doesn't know that he thinks is innocent, but there's an angry mob, and his job is to keep the peace. Pilate's in a really, really difficult scenario here. And Pilate is actually the one that takes center stage in this scene. And the text that we're going to be in tonight, we're going to focus specifically on Pilate. The man caught in between Jesus and the mob. So we're going to title this tonight, The Man in Between the Mob and the, and the King. The Man in Between the Mob and the King. It's exactly what Pilate is. There's an angry mob and there's a king. And Pilate stands between them and is faced with a really difficult scenario, which either way he chooses, he's in trouble. This is maybe one of the most difficult positions in all of history. Pilate is tasked with condemning the king of the world. That's his job. He's tasked to do that both by an angry mob and actually by God himself. That this is exactly what God planned for Jesus, that Pilate would condemn him to death. Pilate's in a tough spot. There's certainly some sympathy to have for him. He knows Jesus is innocent. In fact, one of the things that we read in another gospel, in the, in the gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, we read not only that, that Pilate is, is wrestling through whether or not Jesus is righteous or not, whether he's guilty, but we're also told that Pilate's wife had had a dream the night before. And that while Pilate is interrogating Jesus, 
while he's asking him these questions and deciding what to do, his wife actually reaches out in Matthew chapter 19. She says this, while he, Pilate, was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, have nothing to do with this righteous man. For last night, I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. So not only is Pilate's conscience wearing on him as he's trying to decide what the right thing to do is here, but his wife has told him, be careful. Have nothing to do with Jesus. Separate yourself from him. And so there's, there's all sorts of angles that make this difficult for Pilate. He's desperate. He's desperate. He, he doesn't know what to do. But what I want us to observe tonight is that this man starts making some desperate actions. The man caught in between a mob and Jesus just starts making desperate actions is he's trying to decide what the right thing to do is in this difficult scenario that's ultimately going to lead to Jesus being beaten and persecuted. So tonight we're going to structure this this way. Five desperate actions by the man tasked with condemning Jesus. Five desperate actions by the man tasked with condemning Jesus. Now again, I want to remind us that we're going to look at five actions tonight. Five things that Pilate did. Five events that happened. Don't forget that Jesus endures these events, these actions. He endures them on our behalf. Don't just appreciate this story. Personalize this story. And understand why he does what he does. We're going to read through this passage. We're in John chapter 19. John chapter 19, we're going to find ourselves in verses 1 through 16 today. We read this starting in verse 1. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put them on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, king of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to the crowd, Behold the man. So when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify, crucify. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about the sixth hour. 
And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. So they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he handed him over to them to be crucified. It's an amazing scene. As you read through that passage, you feel the tension, the weight of the mob, the authority that they wield simply because of their anger and their numbers. Pilate has a tough decision before him. And so he makes five desperate actions. The man who's tasked with condemning Jesus makes the following five desperate actions. Number one, number one, Pilate punishes Jesus. Pilate punishes Jesus. I just want to mention the illogical nature of what's about to happen. What's about to take place just is unbelievable. Jesus is innocent. He's innocent. He's done nothing that he's being accused of. Not yet. Not only is Jesus innocent, but Pilate knows that he's innocent. If you'll jump back to chapter 18, jump back to chapter 18 and look at the end of verse 38. It's just a few verses up. Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no guilt in him. Jesus is innocent and Pilate knows it. He's publicly proclaimed, I find him innocent. I find no guilt in him. He's not worthy of death. He's not not worthy of punishment. He's done nothing wrong. Pilate knows that. And yet, look at verse 1. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. He had him beaten. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And put a purple robe on him. They began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews. And to give him slaps in the face. This doesn't make any sense. It's illogical. The man is innocent. Pilate knows it. And yet Pilate punishes Jesus. The word scourged means that he hasn't beaten. There were kind of three levels of being beaten in Roman law. Jesus, Jesus in, in a few moments is going to receive the most intense beating possible. A third level of that beating that brings him near to death. But at this point, Pilate probably isn't giving him actually that intense of a beating. He certainly has Jesus beaten. This would have been very painful, but it would not have been the most excruciating of, of, of things that Pilate could have sentenced Jesus to. And that's because Pilate still believes that Jesus is innocent. So remember, why is Pilate doing this? There's an angry mob outside, and Pilate feels the need to give them something. So he starts to punish Jesus. He starts to have him pay for some of the things that, he's, that they are saying that he's done, even though he didn't do them. He starts to give the crowd some of what they want. So he has Jesus beaten. He has him scourged. They take a crown of thorns. It's, just, it's a word that describes a thorny plant. They would have taken, taken it and wound it together. There would have been thorns coming out on every side of it, and they place it on his head. 
a lot, there's a lot of people that have written a lot of things about what's happening with this crown of thorns. It's probably, the crown of thorns might have been a little bit painful. The emphasis of the crown of thorns, however, is not to inflict pain on Jesus. The emphasis of the crown of thorns is to mock Jesus. Jesus is claiming to be a king. And so they weave together a crown fit for a king, but they weave it out of, out of the worst possible material for a crown. Something that everyone despised, thorns. And they weave together these, these thorns and they say, you are the king of the Jews. And they place this crown on his head. Then they go and they grab a robe and it's purple. Purple was the color of royalty. And, and they take this purple robe and they put it on Jesus. So he has this, this purple robe on signifying that he's a king. He has this crown, but not a real crown. It's a crown made of thorns placed on his head. And then they come up to him and, and they start slapping him. They start mocking him. They say, hail king of the Jews. And that, that is not a term of respect. Like it's certainly a term that could have been used respectively, but they're mocking him because they're saying, hail king of the Jews, and they're slapping him. And he has a crown of thorns on his head. They're mocking this man. They're humiliating him. Pilate orders this to be done. He's being punished. But he's innocent. He's innocent. He's paying for something that he didn't do. And it's at that point that we need to remember that he's paying our punishment. Isaiah 53.5 says that the penalty for our punishment, our punishment is upon him. He takes our punishment. He's being punished for something that he didn't do. He's perfect. He's innocent. But he's being punished and he's taking our punishment upon himself. So remember, don't forget, he's doing it for you. Pilate's doing two things in this scene. He's punishing Jesus for, for what he's caused. Like Pilate thinks Jesus is innocent, but he's been brought before the court. There's all sorts of problems in Pilate's mind because of Jesus, problems that have been stirred up. And so he punishes him. But also, and probably primarily in the mind of Pilate, what he's doing by submitting Jesus to this is he's appeasing the Jews. The angry mob outside, he's trying to give them something to show, okay, I hear you. I hear that you want this man to suffer, so I will cause him to suffer. I will beat him, I will humiliate him, and that's exactly what he does. As we continue reading, Pilate comes out again and says to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you. So Pilate takes Jesus. He's, he's beaten at this point. He's in this humiliating attire, and he leads them out to the Jews to see him. This is a presentation. It's a presentation of Jesus. What we see is that Pilate is presenting Jesus with the hopes that this will cause the crowd to be satisfied because Pilate is still convinced that Jesus is innocent. 
But the crowd is not satisfied. They still want Jesus dead. And so Pilate begins to plead, to plead on Jesus' behalf, to beg the crowd to let Jesus go. And that's the second desperate action by the man tasked with condemning Jesus. That's spelled wrong. Pilate, P-L-E-A-S. Please for Jesus. He begs the crowd on Jesus' behalf to acknowledge that he's innocent and to not sentence him to death. It's shown in verses 4 through 8. So Pilate comes out again and he says, Behold, I'm bringing Jesus out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Pilate is very forefront with the Jews. I'm bringing him out to you. And as I'm doing that, you must know, I don't think he's guilty. Why does it matter that Pilate doesn't think he's guilty? Because he's showing them, I'm bringing him out so that you see what I did to him, even though I'm convinced that he's innocent. That's what Pilate's doing here. He's trying to get them to be satisfied that he's done something that's like against his conscience. Even though he thinks he's innocent, he's still beaten him and humiliated him on their behalf. And so he starts to plea to the crowd to acknowledge his innocence. Jesus, verse 5, then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate presents him. Pilate said to them, behold the man. Behold the man. It's, it's, it's Pilate putting this humiliated Jesus up in front of the crowd. And, and it's behold just means look, look at him. See what I've done. See what I've done to the person that I think is innocent. Behold him. Look at him. See his humility, his limitation, his humanity. Look at him. But the crowd is not satisfied. Look at verse 6. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify, crucify. They don't want a beaten Jesus. They want a dead Jesus. Now, again, understand the difficult scenario that Pilate is in. This, again, for the second time, is a backfired plan. Pilate's agenda, Pilate's job was to try to appease the Jews to keep the peace. And so he beats Jesus and humiliates them, him with that intention, but they don't buy it. They're still calling for his death. So at this point, they want Pilate to go further than Pilate's willing to go. Pilate's done more than he ever wanted to do, and yet they're still crying, more, give us more, crucify him. So Pilate begins to plead. Verse 6, about halfway through, Pilate responds to the calls for crucifixion. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no guilt in him. Pilate says, I'm convinced that he's innocent, so you crucify him. Now, Pilate knows what he's calling them to do can't actually happen. The Jews cannot crucify Jesus. They don't have the authority to do it, and it's not within their law to do it. Crucifixion is not the way that Jews would have killed anyone. They would have stoned them, but they want Jesus to be crucified. 
So Pilate says, you go crucify him. I know that he's innocent, knowing full well that they could not and would not do that. And that's exactly how they respond. The Jews answered him, we have a law. And by that law, he ought to die. He's deserving of death. Why? Because he made himself out to be the son of God. The Jews are concerned that Jesus might get out of this. Pilate is so strongly pleading on Jesus' behalf that they actually start a new argument against Jesus in this verse. If you remember back to last week, they've been playing the political card against Jesus from the beginning. They've been saying this man claims to be a king, therefore he's a threat to Caesar. This man is a divisive person who's going to start riots. And both of those were contrary to what Pilate needed to stop. But clearly Pilate sees him as innocent. So when Pilate says, you crucify him, I'm convinced that he's innocent. I'm not willing to go any further. The crowd raises a new argument. The new argument is not a political one, but a religious one. And that argument is that Jesus has claimed to be the Son of God. In their minds, that's blasphemy. For someone to claim to be equal with God is blasphemy. For someone to claim to be one with God is blasphemy. If I can just make a quick side note here. You may encounter people that would say, Jesus never claimed to be God. If Jesus didn't claim to be God, why would everyone be so upset, so upset that they're calling for his death? Just, just something to keep in your mind for, for when people attack scripture and attack Jesus Christ by saying even Jesus didn't think he was God. He never claimed that. If he didn't claim that, then he, he died for nothing and this crowd is angry for nothing. That's exactly what he claimed and that's exactly why they want him dead. So they tell that to Pilate. We have a law, Pilate. We have a law that we need to enforce. It's a law that says Jesus deserved to die. And that law is if anyone claims to be God, he is guilty of blasphemy and deserving of death. Jesus claimed to be God, therefore he's deserving of death. Now, it's important to note that Pilate had a responsibility. We noted this earlier. Not just to enforce the Roman laws, but also to enforce the local laws. In Jerusalem, this would have been a commonly held religious law. And as Pilate, the person overseeing that, part of his responsibility was actually enforcing those local laws. And so they say to Pilate, we have a religious law. He must die. Help us enforce that local law and kill him on our behalf. Seemingly, if Pilate wasn't ready to kill Jesus at this point, that argument is going to make no difference. But look at verse 8. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, he was even more afraid. Pilate hears this argument, this religious argument from the high priests, from the Jewish leaders, and he gets scared. He's nervous. 
And, and we're not told exactly why he's nervous, but it's connected to the fact that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. Probably exactly what Pilate's afraid of. It would have been common for men like Pilate to be superstitious and to have a belief in a higher power, to have a belief in gods, and that even that there were, there were God-men walking on earth. And when he is trying someone who claims to be God, he, he gets nervous, even more afraid than he was before. And so rightfully so, with this new revelation, he has questions for Jesus. He has some things he needs to get straightened out. And so he takes Jesus back inside, away from the Jews. Because with this new argument that Jesus is the Son of God, there's some things he needs to hash out. So he takes Jesus back inside. And that leads us to this third point that takes place back inside the praetorium that Pilate prized Jesus. He starts to interrogate Jesus. He starts to ask Jesus very specific and pointed questions to get to the bottom of everything that's been raised. So he, he pries about Jesus and, and he questions him. Look, look, at, look at verse 9. He entered into the praetorium again and he said to Jesus, where are you from? There's a couple ways to understand that question. It's possible that he's wondering if Jesus comes from heaven. It's probably not super likely though. His mind probably would not have gone to Jesus' origin coming from heaven. He's, he's, he could be asking that as possible, but probably not likely. What, Pilate, what Pilate's probably trying to do here is to find out if Jesus actually falls under Pilate's jurisdiction. To find out if Pilate can maybe pass this off to someone else from Jesus' hometown. He's like, Jesus, this is getting complicated. <laughs> it was tough before. I was between a rock and a hard place. And all of a sudden, they just dropped this information on me that you claim to be God. So where's your hometown? Because I'd love to send you back there and have them deal with you. <laughs> like, that's, that's his response. Jesus doesn't answer him. Look at the end of verse 9. But Jesus gave no answer. Pilate asked a very specific and pointed question. Pilate actually, actually asked a really complicated question. Where do you come from? Huh. Good question. But Pilate probably doesn't know it. Jesus doesn't answer. Which, which is a surprising thing. He could have cleared a lot of things up if Jesus had answered that question, but he doesn't. Just leaves it hanging. Surprises Pilate. Pilate says, why, why would you not answer me? I'm asking you a question. I'm on your side. I think you're innocent. I'm trying to help you here. Where are you from? Jesus doesn't answer. And Pilate says, don't you know? Don't you know that I have the power, Jesus, to condemn you to death or to set you free? Why would you not answer my questions? I'm trying to help you here. Jesus doesn't answer. When Pilate begins to assert to Jesus about his authority, Jesus has a very specific message for Pilate. 
Look at verse 11. Jesus answered, You, Pilate, would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Jesus looks back at Pilate who says, Jesus, I have the authority to condemn you to life or death. And Jesus says, no, you don't. You only have the authority that God gives you. You don't have the authority to take another breath unless God gives it to you. You have nothing unless it's given you from above. Jesus takes a shot at Pilate's authority. And he makes an interesting note at the end of verse 11. He says, because of this, because you don't have authority unless it's been given to God. For this reason, he who delivered me to you actually has the greater sin. This is probably a reference to the, the high priest that tried Jesus and sent him to Pilate. He was the one that delivered Jesus to Pilate. Jesus says, Pilate, you don't have any authority unless God gives it to you. You can't sentence me to death. You can't free me. In fact, we're going to see it in just a few minutes. Pilate's going to try to free Jesus, and it's not going to work. Because Pilate may think he has that authority, but he actually doesn't. Jesus says, you only have the authority that God's given you. God had given a very specific authority, though, the high priest. And that high priest was the same one, Caiaphas, we saw a few chapters ago, who prophesied that Jesus must die on behalf of the people. Caiaphas was the one who tried Jesus, who, who wanted to see him dead and sent him off to Pilate. And so Jesus says, actually, Pilate, you're not the one who's really guilty here. The one who has greater sin is the one who sent me to you. The one that God gave authority. He condemned me to death. Jesus looks back at Pilate and says, you don't have authority. But it's almost a reassuring truth to Pilate. That Jesus looks back and he says, Pilate, you're in a tough spot here. This, this, there's an angry mob out there. You don't actually have the authority in this scenario. The one who's really guilty is the one who sent me to you because... You're in a tough spot no matter what you choose here. Jesus is fully aware of the difficulty of the scenario that Pilate is in. And so he says, you're not the one with the greatest guilt. The one who sent me to you is the one who has the greatest guilt. And that, that seems like a confusing argument, but Pilate buys it. Pilate is convinced even more after Jesus said that, that Jesus is innocent. Because look, look at verse 12. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release Jesus. Because Jesus says, Pilate... The one who brought me to you is the guilty one. You don't have authority. Pilate tries to release him. Tries to set him free. Tries to let him go. He knows he's innocent. That is the fourth action. Pilate protects Jesus. Pilate protects Jesus. He tries to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Pilate tries to release him. 
And the Jews say, if you release Jesus, you are Caesar's enemy because Jesus claims to be a king and he's a threat to Caesar. It's funny. Moments ago, Pilate looked at Jesus and said, I have the power to release you. A couple minutes later, he tries to release him. Doesn't work. He only has the power that God gives him. Even though Pilate is resolved to set Jesus free, he doesn't have the authority to actually set him free because the angry mob will not allow it to happen. So Pilate tries to protect Jesus, but the crowd dissuades him yet again. They play that political card again. If you release him, you're an enemy of Caesar. And Pilate could not have been seen as an enemy of Caesar. Caesar was like his boss. Caesar employed him. And so this ends in verse 16. The solution is that Pilate, fifth point, the fifth desperate action is that Pilate plays politics. Pilate plays politics. You jump to the fifth point. They say, if you let Jesus go, you are Caesar's enemy. He is the king. He is our king. Jesus claims to be a king. He's a liar. Why? Because the end of verse 15, the Jews say, we have no king but Caesar. Caesar is our king. Jesus is no king at all. That's the message of the Jews. And Pilate at this point recognizes that he cannot win. He cannot have the population of Jerusalem thinking that Pilate is opposed to Caesar. And so he plays politics. He gives in. Because he cannot appear to be opposed to Caesar. Even though he knows Jesus is innocent. Pilate's in a tough spot. He's in a lose-lose scenario. Where no matter what he does. No matter what he does. It's a bad decision. But at the end. He condemns Jesus to death. Verse 16. So he then handed him over to them. To be crucified. He listens to their cries, he listens to their commands, and he sends Jesus off to be crucified. And we'll focus on that death of Jesus next week. Don't forget, all of this, it's not right, it's not fair, but he endures it for you.